Good morning. It is good to see all of you here this morning. I want to make sure that everybody knows that we have a youth group here from Surprise, Arizona. They're camped out in our building while they're working at the children's home um, part of last week and then part of this next week. So please welcome them. Let them know how much you appreciate them being here and the good work that they're doing down at the children's home. You know, this last week here at Netherwood was even busier than normal, and it really made me realize how blessed we have been here at Netherwood Park and how wonderful it is that we can share those blessings. We had a very large youth rally here at our church building. It was hosted by the South Valley Church of Christ, which is a congregation of about 25 to 30 members, and they somehow managed to host a youth rally of 500 people here at the building. Fed them three meals a day, found housing for them, put on a whole program. Um, It was a wonderful event, and it just made me realize how blessed we are to have had leadership over the years that have put us in a position where we're able to have those kind of facilities, those kind of places for people to be able to come and be together and worship God and lift his name. So... um, Thank God for what we have here, and don't let that ever be something that we take for granted. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day, and Father, we do thank you for the many ways that you've blessed us, and one of the ways you've blessed us, Father, is with this facility that you've given us, and Father, help us to be people who never take that for granted, and help us to be people who are always willing to share our blessings with others so they too can be blessed by your generosity. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together, and Father, I just pray that This will be a time when we learn more about you, we learn more about your kingdom, and we learn more about what it is like to live in your kingdom. Father, help us to be people who are not ashamed to own you. Help us to be people who are always willing to stand up publicly and boldly to declare that we are servants of the Most High God. And Father, we pray that you will be with all the all the hearers of this word today. And Father, help us to be people who don't just hear this word, but people who put it into our lives and live it out. And Father, we pray this through Jesus, who is our Savior. Amen. So we are continuing our series on kingdom stories. And each week we're listening to Jesus tell us a parable, a parable about what his kingdom is like and what it's like to live in his kingdom. And last week we listened to what is probably the best known parable that Jesus ever told. It's a parable that we usually refer to as the parable of the prodigal son. Today it's going to be very different. Today we're going to hear Jesus tell us a story that isn't nearly as familiar as that parable. We're going to hear him tell us a story that is often misunderstood. And we're going to hear him tell us a story that's frequently confused with another parable. Frequently confused with the parable of the talents that we find in Matthew chapter 25. But the parable we're going to look at today is found in Luke chapter 19. You might want to go ahead and turn there now. This is a parable I think that has been mostly ignored in American churches. And I think the reason why it's been mostly ignored is because it doesn't really resonate with us. It doesn't really seem to speak to us or the world around us. This is a parable that traditionally has resonated more strongly with Christians who are in other countries, with Christians who live in very different circumstances than we do, Christians who live in very, more, very much more difficult circumstances than the circumstances that we live in. See, I don't think this parable has resonated with others like it has with those in those countries that deal with things that we don't deal with. But I know that many people identify with this parable because they see the themes that are found in this parable in their lives and in the lives of those around them. 
See, Christians in other countries oftentimes understand the uncertainty that comes with living in a place where you're serving an unpopular master. They understand that in ways that we simply don't. And Christians in other places understand the fears and stresses that come from serving an unpopular master in ways that we don't. And Christians in other places oftentimes understand the risk that come with publicly and boldly identifying yourself as a servant of Jesus Christ. They understand that in ways that we don't. See, most of us have spent most of our lives in a time and in places where calling yourself a Christian has really been pretty easy. It's something that's been actually popular. It's something that pretty much everybody around us has been doing, identifying themselves as Christians. So for most of us, identifying ourselves as Christians hasn't been a risk. And it hasn't come with fear and it hasn't come with stress. But I think that most of us would also agree that that seems to be changing. Our situation in this country, in this part of the world, seems to be changing. I think we sense that identifying ourselves as Christians may not be as comfortable as it once was. I think that many of us are feeling that calling ourselves Christ followers may not be as popular as it once was. And I think many of us are starting to understand that publicly acknowledging that Jesus is our master may no longer be completely risk-free. And I know that the recognition that our part of the world, our part of the world is changing, that our part of the world is becoming more like other parts of the world. I know that the reality of that is starting to bring us some of the same fears and some of the same stress that many of our brothers and sisters in other countries have felt all their lives. And that's why I believe that today we'll see that this parable, this kingdom story, speaks very powerful to our time, very powerfully to our place. And I believe that because it's a kingdom story about serving the master, serving the master in times of uncertainty. And it probably shouldn't surprise us that this parable speaks powerfully to serving a master in times of uncertainty because Jesus told this story at a time when he knows that his servants are about to face uncertainty. He knows they're about to face transition. He knows that they're about to face their fears and their stress because of that uncertainty and transition. And those uncertain times are coming And the fact that they're coming are hinted at as Luke introduces this kingdom story. Luke 19, 11. Luke says, while they were listening to this, while they're listening to Jesus tell about the salvation that's coming to Zacchaeus, the tax collector's house. While they're listening to that, he went on to tell them a parable. He told them the parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. See, Jesus tells this story because he's about to enter Jerusalem. And what he knows is going to happen in Jerusalem and what his followers think is going to happen in Jerusalem couldn't be any more different. See, his followers believe that he's going on to Jerusalem on kingdom business, but on kingdom of Israel business. 
They're anticipating the restoration of Israel to the glory days of King David. They see victory over Rome in their future. They see Jesus on King David's throne, and they see themselves in positions of power and authority. And they're, they are very confident that the appearance and restoration of Israel as a kingdom is imminent. They're right on the edge. They're right on the verge. And you know what? They're partially right. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem on kingdom business. But he's on the way to Jerusalem on kingdom of God business. And he is on his way to the throne. But unlike them, Jesus knows that the way to the throne is through the cross. And Jesus knows that God's kingdom business means that he must go away. See, Jesus knows that his departure is what's imminent. And because his departure is imminent, and because his followers don't yet really understand the nature of God's coming kingdom, Jesus tells them a kingdom story. Verse 12, Jesus said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. He gave them one mina each. That's about three months' wages. And he said, put this money to work until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So Jesus begins this kingdom story by describing a political scene that would have been familiar to all those in his audience. It's a scene that had been frequently repeated in Jerusalem. When a local ruler who had been put in place by Rome either died or was pushed off the throne, something had to happen. He had to be replaced. And what is described in the story here is exactly what would have happened. A son of that ruler or maybe another family member would have traveled to Rome. They would have pledged their allegiance to Rome. They would have pled their case as to why they should have been the new ruler why they should be selected. And their hope was that they would be selected as the new ruler. And sometimes those trips were successful, and sometimes those trips weren't successful. And when they weren't successful, a new ruler would have been selected by Rome and sent from Rome to rule in this place. So that's what's going on in this story. And before the man goes to Rome, before he begins his journey, and he's going there to hopefully receive his kingship. He does something kind of unusual. He calls his servants together. He gives them a little speech, but the main reason that he calls them together is he wants to give them a gift. And as he gives them the gift, he makes it very clear that he's confident that he is coming back. He plans on being back, but not everyone around him agrees. See, we find out that this man has enemies And these enemies are also confident that they can prevent him from receiving the kingship and they can prevent him from coming back. They see this as an opportunity to keep this man off the throne. But the nobleman is confident. He's confident that he's coming back. He's so confident that he generously hands out gifts to his servants with every intention of returning every intention of returning to see what they did with those gifts, how they were used in his absence. And his only instruction to his servants was, put the money to work. Keep those gifts busy while I'm gone. But he's not the only one confident. 
His enemies are also confident. They're confident enough that they send their own delegation to Rome. And they do that to voice their displeasure, to voice their opposition. They're determined to undermine this nobleman at any cost. So the picture we should have is of two competing groups hurrying their way to Rome. One group is hurrying their way to Rome to get this man confirmed, get this man put in place, put on the throne to rule over them. But the other group is hurrying on their way to Rome to keep that man from being confirmed, to keep him from being put on the throne, to keep him from being ruler over them. And so as Jesus is telling this story, at this point, no one knows how this story is going to end. Because no one knows what Rome will decide. No one knows which one of these groups is going to prevail. And they won't know for sure until either that man returns as king or until a new man returns as king. So this is a time of transition. This is a time of tremendous uncertainty. And I think we all know from personal experience that when there is transition, where there is uncertainty, there's also stress. There's also fear that comes along with that. And no one feels that stress. And no one feels that fear more acutely than this nobleman's servants. See, if his trip is successful, they're going to benefit. Their loyalty will be rewarded. It's good to be the servant of a nobleman, but it's even better to be the servant of a king. But what if he doesn't? return? What if the nobleman's trip isn't successful? What if a different man shows up as their king? How will the nobleman's servants be treated then? Their loyalty won't be rewarded. Their loyalty won't be rewarded because they were loyal to a different master. Their loyalty will only make them suspect. Their loyalty will be viewed as enemies, make them enemies of the new king. So what do you do? If you were a servant of this nobleman, how would you behave in his absence? Would you make your loyalty loyalty to him obvious? Make it obvious in the hope that he will return as king and you will be rewarded? Or will you instead bet that he's not going to return and instead turn yourself into a very different position, a very different person where maybe you'll be treated favorably when a new king shows up. So as the king hands out these gifts to his servants, the nobleman also has similar questions that are running through his mind. See, he wants to know. He wants to know what his servants are going to do while he is gone. He wants to know how they're going to conduct themselves during this time of transition, during this time of uncertainty, during this time of stress and fear. He wants to know, will his servants take the risk to openly declare their allegiance to him in his absence and also in the face of opposition? He wants to know, are they going to serve him and do what he asks even while he's gone? Are they going to continue to serve him and do what he asks even though many people around them are convinced that the master isn't coming back? He wants to know if they'll use his gifts. He wants to know if, he'll, if they will put his gifts to work. They, he wants to know if they'll put his gifts into the marketplace, keep them busy. 
He wants to know if they'll use the gifts while living boldly and publicly as his servants. What the master wants to know is, will they boldly and publicly declare that these gifts are from their master? And will they boldly and publicly declare that they are being used in the way that their master commanded? Basically, what he wants to know is if his servants are confident enough in his future to make it their future. Will his servants trust that he's coming back? And will they trust that he's coming back as king? Or are the servants going to listen to his enemies? So the nobleman begins his long journey to Rome, and he has those questions running through his mind. And we also wonder, will he come back as king? Let's find out. Verse 14. He was made king, however, and he returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. He's back. He's king. And his very first order of business is to find out what the servants did with their gifts. His first order of business is to find out what his servants did while he was gone. His first order of business is to find out those answers to the questions that he had. Did they take the risk to openly declare their allegiance in his absence and in the face of opposition? Did they use his gifts while living publicly and boldly as his servants? Were they confident in making his future their future? See, his question on his return really isn't, how much money have you earned? The king's interest, the king's concern isn't financial. I mean, frankly, these are trivial amounts of money to the king. The money is trivial, but the servant's actions aren't trivial to the king. What the king really wants to know is, how busy have you been with my gifts? Did you boldly and publicly declare that this money was a gift from your master? And have you unashamedly used this gift in the way that your master commanded? He wants to know, did you follow your master or did you follow your fears? Let's find out what happened. Verse 16. The first servant came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy and faithful in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Then the second servant came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. And the master answered, You take charge of five cities. Notice what the master does here. He commends them for being faithful. He commends them for being trustworthy. He commends them for trusting in him. He commends them for making his future their future. He doesn't commend them because they've successfully earned more money. Instead, he commends them because they've successfully remained loyal to their absent master. And so he rewards their faithfulness. He doesn't reward their faithfulness with more money and with greater gifts. He rewards their faithfulness with responsibility, more responsibility. He rewards them with kingdom responsibility. But not all of the servants were as faithful as these two servants. Verse 20, Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. 
I have kept it laid away and hidden in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. And his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. So what's going on here? What's happening with this servant? Well, this servant has obviously failed his master, and he's obviously angered his master. And it's not because he doesn't have more money than he started with. He's angered his master because he didn't even try. He didn't put his gift to work. He didn't keep that gift busy. The master's disappointed. The master's angry because he didn't do what his master commanded him to do with the gift. And I believe the reason why he failed, the reason why he failed was because he was filled with fear. He was filled with doubt. He was filled with uncertainty. See, he was afraid his master wouldn't return. He was afraid his master's enemies would prevail. So he was afraid to make his master's future his future. He was afraid. He was doubtful and he was uncertain because he didn't really know his master. He didn't know that his master's word could always be trusted. He didn't know that his master would certainly prevail and would certainly return. And he didn't know that his master wasn't concerned with results, but his master was concerned with obedience. His master was concerned with loyalty. His master was concerned with faithfulness. See, he thought his master was a hard man like other masters. Those masters who only care about results. Those masters whose word can't be trusted. Those masters whose return isn't good news for their servants. And because he didn't really know his master, this servant learns a really hard lesson. And that leaves questions for us. What are we going to learn from this kingdom story? What lessons are we going to learn from our master's kingdom story? See, hopefully it's obvious to us that this story is not only our master's story, it's also our story. See, our master has gone away. He's gone away to be crowned king. And our master has promised to return. And our master has, pre, has generously given each of us generous gifts. And our master has commanded us to put those gifts to work. He's commanded us to keep those gifts busy until he returns. And our master has enemies. Our master has enemies that seem to be getting progressively bolder, progressively louder, progressively more convinced that our master will never be king and our master will never return. And so there's a temptation for us. 
maybe a temptation that's stronger now in this part of the world than it's ever been, a temptation to hide our gifts and a temptation to hide our master's identity. No, not hide them in a cloth, but maybe hide our gifts in our own homes. Maybe hide our master's identity in our own homes. Maybe hide our gifts and our master's identity in the walls of our church buildings. Or maybe hide our gifts and our master's identity just when we're among certain friends. So the question for us is, are we going to be faithful servants of our master? Faithful servants of our king? Are we going to use our gifts that have been given to us by our master to live boldly and publicly as his servants? Are we willing to make Jesus' future our future? You know, throughout this year, we've been taking Joshua's lead. We've been boldly declaring in this place, we've been boldly declaring to each other that our houses, we and our houses will serve the Lord. And I believe that this kingdom story is calling on us to do that, calling on us to do that again. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. I'm going to ask everyone to boldly and publicly declare to each other that you are going to be people who serve the Lord, that we are going to be people who serve the Lord. So go ahead and stand up. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to choose this day whom you will serve. And I'm going to ask you to respond as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, fellow servants of Jesus Christ, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And may God bless you for making that commitment. But this kingdom story calls us to make a different commitment. It's not really a different commitment. It's a same commitment, but made in a different place. See, this story leaves us with yet another question. And that question is, are we willing to boldly declare that we and our houses will serve the Lord even when we aren't in this house. The question for us is, are we willing to stand up for Jesus whenever and wherever we find ourselves? Let's sing together. Sing, Lord, like a shepherd.